The concept of retirement in this country is broken. We work ourselves to death and we miss out on so many of life's precious experiences. And as a certified financial planner and CPA here in Nashville, Tennessee, I'm committed to helping free others from this antiquated mindset using my three-bucket approach to managing money and to find creative ways to live now and retire while you work. Join me as we change the way we think about money and time and which one of these is the true currency. All right. Um, thanks for joining if you're on here. And uh, if not, or if you have to sign off early, we will be sending out a replay of this webinar. So um, just wanted to take a chance. It's been a obviously a crazy year and wanted to have a chance to connect with each of you again. We did about five of these seminars starting at the beginning of COVID all the way through the summer. Um, and so wanted to kind of revisit because what I've seen now and noticed is a lot of you and a lot of our clients have been changing their focus slash concerns, if you will, to the election. Um, so if we want to spend the next 45 minutes talking about the debates, we can, just kidding, bad joke. But obviously the concerns of COVID are going to continue to, to loom kind of in the, um, with the election kind of in the front seat. So today's agenda, what we want to accomplish um, is we want to give uh, a year in review, just kind of a quick summary of what's happened with some statistics and thoughts on that, as well as um, more importantly, where do we go from here? And then we'll do some Q&A. And so we do have a Q&A button at the bottom of your screen that uh, myself and Carson on my team will be monitoring. We'll try to hold those questions till the end. Um, although if we see one that pops up and it's a good time, I may pop in and address it with our speaker. Uh, Colin Roberts. And so Colin, who you see on the screen, hopefully, he's a, a good friend of mine personally. I've known him for 15 years or so. He's been uh, at BlackRock for, I think, 16 years, which is one of the uh, largest money managers I know in the country, maybe the world. So very great reputation. A lot of you have heard him speak at five or six in-person seminars that we've done at Richland Country Club and a few other places over the years. Um, so I'm pleased to have him. I'll sign off of here or just kind of turn off my video, let Colin take it, and I'll be uh, popping in from time to time. So Colin. Hey everybody, good morning. Uh, greetings from West Nashville. Hope everybody's doing okay this morning. Yeah, I'd love to spend a little time talking about the year that we've had so far. Uh, it's hard to get past some of the headlines that you see, uh, some of the stories you see online or on the TV. And then I want to talk to you mostly about where we think we're going to go from here. And there's four big stories in the world that we're going to talk about. And then I want to hit, end up with some basic old school reminders of things that you, uh, you got to keep in mind during years like we've had so far this year. And so what we would say uh, in 2020 is that it is equivalent, <clears throat> excuse me, the equivalent of an earthquake and that there's lots of, um, there's lots of talk about previous recessions. You may read some of that stuff in the paper or um, uh, on newsletters that you get in your inbox. But the truth is we haven't seen anything like COVID since the Spanish flu of 1918. So it's been basically a hundred years. Every other recession otherwise is something else. This is billions of people locking themselves in their houses for extended periods of time. And for a while, they're not spending any money. Previous recessions are traditional boom and bust cycles that are, are natural and they go back uh, many, many years. This is something completely different, right? And so there really isn't precedent for what happened. And the, the interesting thing is if you read any of Raymond James's stuff to start the year, if you read anything that places like BlackRock put out, in January, we were pretty excited. 
interest rates were low. If you were starting a business or you were buying a house, uh, you had uh, companies were super healthy, earnings were really good. Um, all the traditional signposts said 2020 should have just been a continuation of what has been an incredible bull market for the last 12 years. And then this thing happened and the world stopped. And so if you look at your portfolio so far this year, there's been real winners and losers. And some traditional diversification hasn't worked as well as we would like because what the market has rewarded so far this year have been companies that don't need you to leave your house. And if you look around the world, there are exactly two sectors that have had a great 2020. Everybody else has struggled, right? So technology stocks are up a ton. They're up 40 or 50%, depending on what you own so far this year. And then healthcare stocks have done well too, which is good for Middle Tennessee. Healthcare stocks are up 10 to 15%, depending on what you own. And that is the only reason the American stock market is up four or 5% so far this year. Most other parts of the portfolio, other than bonds, which have done their job so far this year, they've been good. Most other parts of the portfolio are still down a lot. Small companies are down 20% still. International stocks are still down on the calendar year. Even the big, high-quality, dividend-paying, sleepy stocks that everybody knows and loves, they're still down 10 to 15% this year as well. And you might go, why is that? What's the deal? Well, the deal is, again, the market has rewarded companies that are not economically sensitive. You're going to use Netflix and Apple whether we go back to life or not. What it's punished are companies that really need you to come back to life, right? They Small companies are really economically sensitive. Uh, brick and mortar companies, really economically sensitive. So you've had a huge split in what's worked so far this year. The question becomes, what's going to happen now, right? And we would argue that there are essentially four big stories in the world in 2020 that BlackRock is paying attention to. The first one is the virus. The second one is uh, what is now a reheating trade war with China. The third is the election, and don't worry, we're going to talk a bunch about the election. And then the fourth is the amount of stimulus going on in the world right now. There are three huge sources of volatility in the world, and we are expecting volatility in your portfolio to pick up between now and the end of the year. But don't confuse volatility with losing money. People make that mistake all the time. Volatility just means your portfolio is moving around more. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going down. What we always joke is that any of those first three stories is a media company's dream. They would kill for any of them, and yet they're getting three of them at the same time, and they are going to punish you with it. Whether you're on Instagram or Facebook or the newspaper or the television, you are going to continue to hear about the scary stuff in the world because fear sells, and it keeps eyeballs glued to the screen. So let's hit on these first four, and we'll rip them apart. So the first is the virus. And look, the whole thing is incredibly sad. You probably know someone who's had it. You may know someone who's died from it. Hundreds of thousands, millions of people around the world uh, impacted by COVID so far this year. And yes, it is true that our case counts are spiking and the highest in the developed world at this point. Now, we do believe that it's partially because there's more of us, that it's partially because we are testing a lot. And it's also partially because Americans have largely said we're, we're over this we're going back to life. You can see that in Middle Tennessee. There's people at the mall. There's people at restaurants. My kids are playing sports. Private schools are back in. 
public schools, cross your fingers, hopefully soon. All right, so we are largely going back to life, and you can see that Google, it's a little scary, but Google tracks your mobility, your ability to get up and around, and even though our case counts are really high, Americans are as mobile in red as any other major developed world uh, country around the world. And we are spending money and we are driving for fall break maybe or wherever. And so we do believe regardless of a second wave, which is the next headline you're gonna start to hear about, that Americans are not going to lock themselves in their houses again, and that we are gonna continue to spend money. And so we do believe the worst of the economic news is behind us. Now that's not great news if you're a brick and mortar store, maybe people will spend less, but we do believe the worst of the economic news is behind us and that's really good news for your investments because earnings are getting better, growth is getting better, all of the traditional stuff has bottomed and is starting to slowly get better over time. That's a really important piece of information and yet you're probably not gonna hear about that because it will all be about deaths and infections and all of the things that, that uh, the media loves to focus on. The second story, which is getting very little attention, which actually matters to us maybe more than the rest of them, is the trade war with China. If you are an executive at a, at a multinational company right now, you already are thinking about this quite a bit, right? But the truth is, China in yellow is now a larger economy than the US, Europe, and Japan combined. And look, we have fundamentally different ideologies than them on intellectual property and social rights and all sorts of things, we have a hard time believing this story is going away anytime soon. And we do believe this ongoing conversation with China is gonna be with us for the rest of our lives. And it will be a source of volatility from time to time, depending on who's in office for the rest of our lives and the way that we deal with them. And so again, you add that to the first one, we now have a second source of volatility. It feels to us like both Democrats and Republicans are rattling the saber some on China. It used to just be a Republican thing. It kind of feels like it's that America in general is ready to get tougher on China. And so we'll see how that plays out in the near future as well. The last story, which, which is going to absolutely be a source of volatility, and if you watch that debacle uh, on Tuesday night, you, you can see why, is this election. And what we're finding around the country is, is not surprisingly, deep division and lots of fear, tons of fear around this election. And the fear is largely that Republicans are terrified of scenarios one and two. They're especially concerned about scenario number one, a clean sweep uh, of the Democrats across the board. And Republicans are, uh, uh, sorry, and Democrats are terrified of scenario three. They can't fathom that the president is gonna be in office for four more years. And it's leading to people selling investments. And I'm gonna show you that data here in just a few minutes. It's leading to a tremendous amount of fear. The truth is, history says this time is not different. You may believe this time is different. You may disagree with the 30 or 40 year vision of either of these parties. But the, the truth is, history says the American machine adapts. If taxes go up, we will adapt. If healthcare becomes nationalized, we will adapt. Maybe not in the short run, but we will adapt. And we do believe whoever is perceived to lose may want to sell some stuff the day after the election, right? If you perceive that you lost this election, you may wanna get even more conservative. History says that would be a mistake. And I'm gonna show you why that would be the case. Let me give you an example of that. So say you're a Republican and what you dislike about the Democratic Party is the healthcare policy, the spending, 
uh, some of the social policies, that is leading you to say, if those people win, I'm going to sell my investments. The problem with that is that there's also things that they would do that the market would like very much, like the trade war would probably settle down in the near term, and the stimulus party would absolutely go on. Now, you may disagree with that from how are we going to pay for all this stuff, but in the near term, the market would like that very much. So you can start to see that we tend as humans to focus on the things that we don't like and forget the things that the market would like very much. There's just way too many inputs to decide on your investments based off of one thing like the election. And, and history says that's the case. So regardless of party, regardless of uh, how contentious the election was, the American machine rolls on. I would just remind you that three and a half years ago, when Trump won, the world was supposed to end. And overnight, you saw a spike in treasuries because people wanted bonds, and you saw the market sell off a thousand points. And then a week or two later, we all thought, okay, well, that was dumb. And then three years later, we had had one of the biggest bull markets in the history of the American stock market, and it only stopped because of COVID in the first quarter of this year. So just be really careful wrapping your political beliefs around the portfolio that David is building for you, because history says they probably shouldn't be in the same room together. The other thing that I find particularly interesting is you would expect presidential election years to be worse than average, right? But in fact, they're actually 10% better than average. So the long-term average for stocks is around 10%. Presidential election years are actually better. And that does not make sense because this year is particularly nasty, but they're always yelling at each other, right? They're always screaming and fundamentally disagreeing, right? And so it's really interesting to me to see that presidential election years are actually slightly better than average. The other one we hear a lot right now is I'm worried about single party government. I'm worried about the Democrats having the White House and, uh, and the Senate because they can then do whatever they want. Some of that's true. You got to remember there will be a referendum on that two years later with the midterm elections. And that's why the midterms actually tend to be the scarier of the two, because it's a quick referendum on the early policies of a new presidential election cycle, right? And so there's lots of, of concern about all of those things. But again, history says trading in your portfolio based off of politics historically has been a mistake, but we're seeing a ton of that, right? And so just to give you some numbers around that, right now, if you look through yesterday, there's about $6 trillion sitting in money market accounts around America, right? That is essentially a double from where we started the year at from a money market standpoint. Money markets are just basically cash. And in previous times, the last two, but there are many more examples of this, when you saw what I'll call peak fear, because people go to cash when they're afraid. So when you saw peak fear in January of 09, and I lived it, that was real. And when they saw peak fear in January of 03, that was at the beginning of my career, his, those were both examples of three years later, the average annual return of the market was massive, right? And so you might be thinking to yourself, why would that be a mistake now? Why would sitting money in cash with those three things you just talked about, the virus, the election, the trade war, why would that be a mistake this time? And the answer is the story number four, which is the amount of government stimulus going on in the world, all right? And so let me just put some context around all these crazy numbers that you see on the screen. We are on pace right now to do over $10 trillion around the world in government stimulus, right? 
That is about eight times more than we did during the entire financial crisis 12 years ago. And look, if you didn't invest during the financial crisis, let me just give you a little, a little insight. That was the potential end of markets. That was the potential end of mortgages, the housing market, several of the largest banks went under. That was very real fear. This is more of, a, of an earthquake, right? Where the world just kind of stopped on a dime. And yet, we're about, we have so far announced eight trillion, or sorry, eight times more stimulus. And by the way, we think it's gonna be closer to $12 trillion by the time this year is over. Something like 10 times more stimulus in 2020 than we, don't, than we saw during the last financial crisis. Most of that is what you see over here in red, which is bond buying. The governments of the world, I don't know if you know this, have been hoovering up all of the bonds in the world. In fact, America hired BlackRock to do a lot of that for them. They've been buying up all of these bonds and their goal is to drive interest rates as low as they can get them. So you probably notice that your cash pays nothing, right? So your savings account, again, unfortunately, pays nothing. And by the way, the Fed has said that's going to be at least three years, probably five years before your cash pays something. So they are trying to make it so painful to leave your money in conservative investments that you go do something else with it. Go start a business, go pay down some debt, uh, go spend money, do something else because you are not going to make anything in your cash. And then now, because of all the bonds they've been buying, there's no yield in bonds either. So 80% of the bonds on the planet now pay less than 2%. So there's no yield there either, right? The 30-year treasury is less than 2%, 30 years where you get less yield than the rise of inflation. That's not a good deal either at the end of the day, right? And so the question that we would ask people is, if they're telling you cash will pay nothing and bonds will pay nothing and commercial real estate is a mess for the time being because companies like BlackRock are rethinking how much space they need with people working from home two, three, four days a week. So now for the time being commercial real estate's a mess, thank goodness your house is probably appreciating because you probably live in Nashville, which is a freak at the end of the day, right? But in all of that going on, it leaves stocks. And that's the reason the stock market is up 40% off of the bottom because there frankly aren't other great places to put the money. So now if you're Vanderbilt's endowment or you're the Tennessee teacher's pension, or you're a retiree who's 60 years old and you can't get returns from cash and you can't get returns from bonds and you can't get much return from real estate, what you are left with is stocks. And that's the reason you can believe all three of those first things to be true, that the virus, the election and the trade war will add to volatility. And yet your portfolio can continue to grind higher because frankly, there's not a lot of other places to put the money. And that story, in our opinion, is not going away anytime soon, right? So just keep that in mind. You're going to get crushed with these really scary headlines in the near term. But just keep in mind that in a world where there is no other alternative to make money, money will continue to find its way to stocks and aggressive bonds over and over and over and over again, because people need return and people need yield, and they're going to pay up for that in our opinion. All right, so hopefully that's helpful as hey, you Paul, start to think about it. David, yeah. Yeah, quick question that just popped up that's relevant right now. Um, are there any projections about the long-term consequences, consequences of the stimulus spending in the US and globally? So kind of on that note, 
with all the yeah. four trillion plus U.S. and ten trillion across the across the globe. What would you uh, would BlackRock say to that? Yeah. So history would say, and a newsletter that shows up in your inbox would say the price will be hyperinflation. Right. That anytime governments print this much money, the penalty historically has been inflation. You know, Jimmy Carter named hyperinflationary periods. Uh, you can go way back to the, to the hundreds of years ago. The problem with that thesis right now is that there are two massive deflationary forces in the world right now. The first one is aging populations and U.S. is aging, Europe is aging, China is aging, Japan is aging. All of the major uh, hot spots in the world are aging and people spend less money as they get older. Right? I spend a fortune with little kids. Retirees spend a lot less money. Uh, because they kind of have to. So that's massively deflationary. The other reason we're not expecting huge inflation is because of technology. But that right. phone in your pocket, this WebEx, is massively deflationary. Every time a truck driver loses their job to a robot, that is deflation. And that's not going anywhere anytime soon, right? And so we do believe for a while they're going to get away with this. Right. And really, if you think about it, there's a couple of ways out of this mess. They can spend less. Anybody think they're going to spend less? Probably not. They can grow their way out of it. And that's what Trump has been trying. Let's grow the economy and collect more tax revenue. Right. By doing that, they can tax their way out of it and make no mistake. David's the CPA, but there is no universe in which we don't think at some point taxes are going up in the United States right. to try to pay for some of this debt. Maybe not the next administration, but somewhere down the line, we will all pay more tax to pay for some of this mess. But the sneaky way out of this and the way we think they're really going to try is to inflate their way out of it. So what does that mean? Right? If they can get inflation to be 3 or 4%, which is not Jimmy Carter inflation, right? that's just kind of normal inflation. And yet the, the yield they have to pay on their debt is 1% to 2%. They are very slowly eating into the value of that debt, that trillions and trillions of dollars over time, and that's what they're going to try to do. And so, in our opinion, the, the only major cost would be if the world decided America was not a good bet anymore, and they wanted to take their money from us and move it somewhere else. And look, that could happen. The problem is there's nowhere else to put it. The U.S. dollar is 70% of all the money on the planet, and the U.S. Treasury market is by far the largest bond market on the planet. So Switzerland can't just take it from us and put it in China because the bond market's not big enough to do that. And so our opinion is they're gonna try to inflate their way out of it. And that um, there, there is certainly risk here, but that the US is gonna get away with this for a very, very, very long time. So hopefully that answers some of your questions. Yeah, that, that was great. And you also, you mentioned taxes, and I know that's a question that's gonna come up, so I'll go ahead and address it. If, you know, taxes, Trump tax cut dropped the top, the top, top rate to 37%, um, and corporate tax rate down to 20 or 21 percent from what i've seen and you probably have been closer to this the biden tax plan has that going the top rate going from 37 to 39.6 but then there's also been talks of 52 percent and then capital gains rate going from the 20 percent up to 39.6 percent so a are you guys hearing the same thing and if that happens what do you think that means for the stock market and then would that mean to look at things like municipal bonds for tax-free earnings? Yeah, no, great question. And look, so there are fundamentally different proposals on the table. You also got to remember, though, that 
what is talked about on the campaign trail is fundamentally different than what actually happens in practice. And you got to remember that there are still Republicans in office, that there are still moderate Democrats in office, and that rich people hate paying taxes regardless of party. So let's all not forget those things, first and foremost. We would be very surprised to see those top tax rates go to something like 50%. We would be unsurprised to see the Trump tax, tax cuts go away and for them to just go back to where they were before he took office a couple of years ago. And would that lead wealthy people to buy municipal bonds? Absolutely. Would it lead wealthy people to rethink certain types of insurance that are tax-free? Absolutely. Could it lead to some selling of the market in the near term? Probably as people lock in some of the gains that they've made and try to pay these lower taxes. But again, a lot of history tells you people adapt, they learn, they grow, and that the beat will go on once we all figure out the rules of the game. And that goes for corporations as well as wealthy individuals. Great. Thanks, Colin. I'll let you kind of move on and save some of these questions till the end. Well, yeah, let's hit on a couple of main sort of basic old stories that I want to talk about as well. So <clears throat> the first thing I want to hit on that we're seeing around the country and frankly around the world is millions of people now trapped at home, working from home, and with a lot of time on their hands. And the do-it-yourselfer investment movement has come back in a way that we haven't seen it since the tech bubble in the early 2000s. And make no mistake, if you were lucky enough or smart enough to buy Apple in March, you feel like a genius. You feel like the smartest investor in America if that was a decision that you made for whatever reason. The problem with doing it yourself is history says it's about a coin flip. Right? History says over here on the left that picking individual stocks is about a 50-50 shot, which is no better than chance. And in fact, this year, right, that the, there are 60% of stocks are still down on the calendar year. For everybody that bought Apple, there are just as many people that thought airlines looked cheap and have continued to get crushed so far this year, that thought Exxon looked cheap, and they're really regretting that decision as well. So don't let your friends tell you that they're buying individual stocks and they've doubled their net worth this year. You may have one that did that, but most people love to overfocus on their winners, just like the casino, and they forget to mention they lost everything else at the craps table on the other side of the house as well. So just be really careful on opening up a Robinhood.com account or a Schwab account and trying to do it yourself. This game is incredibly hard, and with computers, it's getting harder and harder and harder because they can do so much research before you and I can possibly do that, all right? The last thing that I want to hit on, and I know that the, the team at uh, David Adams Wealth Group talks to you all about this quite a bit, is the old sleepy concept of the diversified portfolio. And we always stop during years like we've had so far this year and talk about this. And the reason is so much of investing is psychological and behavioral. And these are the kinds of times when people make big mistakes. And the reason is we are hardwired for thousands of years and generations to avoid pain, right? To, we are the descendants of the people who were smart enough to run from lions, and yet we're still here. And so what that means is during down years, 2000, 2008, the first quarter of this year, that sleepy diversified portfolio of yours was down a lot less. But our brain still says, yeah, but David, I'm losing money. And then on the flip side, it's crazy how quick we go to greed. So we go from fear to greed and back and forth incredibly quickly. So during the bull market from 09 to 2019, our brain says, I'm not keeping up. 
my friends are making more than me. I'm not keeping up. Should we be taking more risk? And yes, the diversified portfolio left a bunch of money on the table during that market. But here's the thing. Even after leaving all of that return on the table, the diversified portfolio over two market cycles actually ends up with more money in the account. And that's why they beat you over the head with staying the course and diversification. It's not sexy. Nobody likes to talk about it. Everybody wants to hear about a, a secret idea that's going to make them rich. But the truth is the math just works for that diversified portfolio. And here's why. If you have a dollar and you lose 50 cents, you are down 50%. But to get that 50 cents back to a dollar, you don't have to be up 50%. You have to be up 100%. You have to double it now. And that's why downside protection matters so much more than keeping up with the market when it goes up. So right now, we're in a fear moment, right? Right now, we're, we're scared of everything. I promise you, at some point in the not-too-distant future, you're going to have a greed moment when everything seems easy and the skies seem clear like January. And just remind yourself, there is a reason we do it the way that we do it. It sounds good. And you may be thinking, well, I want both. I want to be down less and I want to be up with the market. The truth is it doesn't work like that. Even BlackRock with $7 trillion under management, there is not a person at this firm that has, has regularly predicted the ebb and flow of the market. And you won't either, frankly, over time. You may get lucky sometimes. The market just, frankly, doesn't work like that over longer periods of time. So just don't forget some of that basic blocking and tackling uh, that we talk about. And there's a reason that we do that. So David, there was a lot in there. We've got a full 30 minutes at this point. Let me stop for a second, yeah. see if you have any additional questions, see if anybody else has any additional questions. Yeah, I've got uh, three outstanding questions here. And it looks like they all um, are kind of on the same topic about the dollar and monetary policy. So I'll, I'll ask uh, the first one and you may answer pieces of the next ones. Um, is there any concern about the U.S. dollar remaining the world reserve currency? No. I can put some color to that, but the answer is no. And, and the reason is, again, the only one that gives us pause is cryptocurrency because it's new. So it's sort of a, it's a new entrant into the game. That, that is too new and too untested and, frankly, too easy to steal, in our opinion, yet. That doesn't mean that our kids won't be living on digital currency at some point, right? So I'll, I'll put that caveat there. From a traditional dollar standpoint, 97% of the money in the world is the dollar, the euro, the pound, and the Japanese yen, right? So all of the other ones that sound interesting, the Chinese whatever and the Australian dollar, all these other ones that, that people talk about uh, are 3% of all the money in the world. So if you're going to take money from the dollar, you got to move it to one of those other three. Right. And by the way, the dollar is 70 percent of that. So you're going to put it in England. England's a mess. Europe may break apart and Japan is worse off than we are. And so from a traditional currency standpoint, there is no nowhere else to put the money. It's also the reason gold has had a really good year this year. Gold's up 30 percent as a currency alternative. Gold does well in times when governments print money and in times when interest rates are really low because the knock on gold is that it doesn't pay any yield. And to that, we would say, well, neither does cash and neither do bonds at this point either, right? And so um, from a traditional currency standpoint, not so much for the time being. Great, thanks for that. All right, uh, the next question. Um, 
On the topic of inflating their way out of the money printing debt, do you think that the sharp increase in the M2 money supply plays a role already in the increase of asset prices since it's so easy to access money right now? Absolutely. Yeah. So if you just think about the ease of getting money to cheap money, like a HELOC right now, you can get for basically, you know, two and a half to three percent on your house. Right. So you've got a house in Nashville, it's appreciated like crazy. You can almost pay nothing and get access to that money for very little interest only interest. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And that's essentially what the Fed is trying to do. They're trying to make it easier for people to take investments out of ultra conservative vehicles like your house or the savings account and do something else with it. But in a nutshell, that's what all of these programs are about is again, forcing you to go do something else with your money. So absolutely it's leading to the resurgence of, of individual real estate. It's leading to what the market has done so far this year. People take money from conservative stuff. that's not going to make any money and they buy things they think are going to make money. That game is as old as time. And it will continue to be that way, in our opinion. Okay, great. Um, Five-year forward inflation ex expectations fell last month and the stock market sold off. Are you assuming that the monetary policy is, is currently accommodative and will remain so? If the neutral interest rate is negative, then current policy is certainly not accommodative. That's the... Yeah, so we are expecting it to stay like this for a while, right? And so that, that inflationary measure, we would say, is is unrealistic because of what's going on in the world right now. Long-term inflation, we think if they keep stoking the fire, which they're doing right now, we're expecting it to be in the three to 4% range. Now, keep in mind, they have had a really hard time getting inflation to perk up, right? They have been trying for years with bond buying and, and what have already been really low interest rates to try to get inflation to pick up because when inflation picks up, you get a raise at work, the cost of your house goes up, like goods and services go up and so people feel better and they spend more money. That's the vicious cycle, uh, the virtuous cycle we're trying to create here. And so we do, and they've said very loudly, they're gonna leave it like this for a while, right? Which is why if you are in that savings account, you are gonna be waiting for a very long time. They are gonna keep rates this low and this painful for as long as it takes for you to take that money and go spend it on something else and try to stoke some inflation and some growth in America and in the world. They've had a really hard time doing that. And so, and it's because of technology and aging populations. And so we think it's gonna be like this, um, super accommodative. And look, could you drift into negative real interest rates for the non-nerds on the call like me, right? That just means that interest rates after inflation are actually negative, right? That, that you're actually technically losing money. Japan has shown that doesn't actually work. And so we don't think we're going to go much further than this. We don't think you're going to see us have negative interest rates, which, by the way, they have in Europe and Japan, um, but they could. But we don't think they're going to do that. And they've largely said they're not going to do that. So we think it's going to be like this specifically for a while. Great. Um, two, uh, two last questions and then we'll close up. Uh, speaking of a weakening dollar, thoughts on gold uh, specifically for next year? I could speak all day about its long term returns and kind of the... Uh, you really have to be willing to trade it to peaks and valleys. But this question was about next year. So, Yeah, so um, gold looks like it's going to have another decent year next year. And why is that? Number one, regardless of party, the money printing presses are going to probably continue to go on next year. It doesn't feel like that's stopping anytime soon. Number two, it doesn't feel like bonds are going to be competition for gold anytime soon either because interest rates are probably not going up 
anytime soon either. So it does feel like um, that it's going to continue to be a decent run for gold as long as those two things are true here. The problem, David, is that you alluded to it. Gold is a stock alternative. Gold is not a bond alternative. The long-term volatility of gold is that it is roughly three times as volatile as the bonds are in your portfolio. And this stuff can change on a dime, right? The minute the world gets a whiff that governments are going to stop printing money and start raising interest rates, gold is going to get absolutely smoked. And that could happen, probably won't happen, but it could happen anytime, right? And so we would just say, we're not afraid of it. In fact, in many funds, we do own it, but it is a stock alternative. And you got to be really careful with how much of it you own because it can turn really, really quickly. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. Great. And then the last question. Oh my, this is a, maybe a tough one. Uh, and you can punt on this if you want. You said that the security of digital cryptocurrency is a downfall, but what do you, what do you hear about ID2020.org? Is this a way to make it safer to move a digital uh, cryptocurrency based on pressure from the CCP? I am in a plete ignorance, unfortunately. And I, I hate to punt because I never punt, but I, I don't want to make up an answer and I'd be making up an answer on that Nothing one. So I'm in, the, Thank you, I'm in the deep end, deep, end, deep end of the ignorance pool on that one. Sorry about that. First time in 15 years, I got to, we got to stunt. <laughs> it wasn't my question. No. Um, with that being said, hey, Colin, thank you so much as always. Um, stay tuned for other emails. We actually have an, um, that you'll always get from me about this stuff. We also have a webinar coming up about the election, I believe in the next couple of weeks. Um, and if you have any major concerns just in general or after listening to today about your plan, reach out to us and we'll talk about uh, your stuff. Kind of every plan we build is custom. So obviously some of this we wouldn't talk about on here. And then we'll, we're going to send out a recording. My team will here in the next couple of days if you want to watch this again or share it. And as always, thank you for joining and we will talk to you soon. Thanks, Colin. Thank you for listening today to Retire While You Work. I'm David Adams and hope you'll continue to listen as we discuss creative ways to manage your time and money. And now some friendly disclaimers to make my compliance department at Raymond James happy. Here we go. Any opinions are those of myself, David Adams, and not necessarily those of Raymond James. Expressions of opinion are as of this date and are subject to change without notice. The information contained in these podcasts do not purport to be a complete description of the securities markets or developments referred to in this material. The information has been obtained from sources considered to be reliable, but we do not guarantee that the foregoing material is accurate or complete. Every investor situation is unique, and you should consider your investment goals, risk tolerance, and time horizon before making any investment. Prior to making an investment decision, please consult with your financial advisor about your individual situation. Any hypothetical examples are for illustration purposes only. Actual investor results will vary. Raymond James does not provide legal or tax services. Please discuss these matters with the appropriate professional. <sighs> there you go.